I get it. You guys love each other. It's amazing. And you should always agree on everything. But when it comes to wine, I need you guys to not agree. Not everybody has a husband that's a winemaker that can teach him this stuff. You know, the amount of forensics that go into it is, is unbelievable. Hey guys, welcome to Must See a Man About a Dog podcast, where I chat to people about anything but platitudes. It's a huge shit sandwich and we're all gonna have to take a bite. On today's podcast, we have Serena and Yako, founders of Grape Unknown, a virtual wine tasting platform boasting with wine tasting courses, a wine tasting club, and their very own Grape Escape TV. Joining Yako and Serena is Stuart, founder of Chili Milk Media and a video producer who has recently hanged his camera to pursue a career in commercial forestry. Oh, and who is also my husband. My name is Elisa, and I'm your host. Welcome, everybody, to Must See a Man About a Dog. Serena and Yako, you're joining us from California. Yes, we're in California right now. We live in Los Angeles. Um, myself, I'm actually originally from South Africa, uh, and Serena's from Ohio, but we, we live here in LA at the moment. 70s and sunny every day. Very nice weather. Lovely. Well, we've had some nice weather, but over the last couple of days, uh, it's been pretty miserable. So back to how England normally is, I think. I'm looking out the window now and it's actually starting to rain. So I'm a little bit jealous. I'm not going to lie. I visited England uh, a few years ago. It was an amazing trip, but I heard some of them saying, you can tell me this is true or not, then when, when the sun does come out, everybody kind of just leave their jobs, go to the park and have a gin and tonic. And I'm not joking. Like That's what they actually told me. Is, is that true? It's it's very true. Yes, uh, people do. Um, I mean, ultimately, they're always going to moan, Brits. It's either too hot or it's too cold or it's too overcast or there's always something wrong. But yeah, it's it's fairly rare that we get sunshine here. So people do tend to make the most of it. That is amazing. Well, growing up in Ohio, I, I can relate. <laughs> we we had definitely had some cloudy, rainy days. So we took advantage of the sun in the summer, too. Yeah, I I often find that uh, when people come from from abroad and they're freezing, you know, they've got coats and jackets on, and you know, but all the Brits are walking around with uh, short yeah, sleeves. absolutely, they're like tan me, tan me. <laughs> <laughs> Could you guys get about was it three hundred and forty days of of sunshine a year or something around that figure? I mean, that's that's like lowballing it. Really? Wow. <laughs> yeah no it no i mean no we, we get some rain but the rain you can you know it's it's a few days a year it's 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 barely anything and, so yeah and people don't know what to do they're like what is this what we're is completely that? fine when there's an earthquake you know maybe even a tornado not that you get that here but when it starts raining people start slowing down on the highways to a crawl like people are wearing their rain boots and it's only like a few droplets it's chaos sounds like when it starts snowing in england definitely so yako being in california is probably a perfect place for, for what you're doing could you introduce us to uh, your line of work yeah absolutely i uh well to be honest anywhere would be a good good place at this moment uh we run the grape unknown um and uh, what it is is it's basically just we help people develop and understand their their wine preferences so i'm a winemaker i studied a knowledge in viticulture um, I've been making wine across the world, and uh, we just opened up our own winery last year, right here in California. So for that purpose, it's amazing that I'm here. But so as far as the grape unknown side of it, this business myself and Serena have been building out. Uh, you know, it, it's it's online. It's it's about helping people that is you know has a passion for wine, but they might uh, feel intimidated or uncomfortable when it comes to wine, which has happened so often. 
and helping them with monthly wine tastings, with live wine tastings online. So yes, it's good that I'm in Los Angeles, but I can literally do these things from, from any, anywhere in the world because we do travel quite often. Um, and so that is essentially what the Grape Pinot is all about. Wow. And, and how does that work, sort of virtual wine tasting? It's fun from my perspective. So basically what we do is we have, we have a wine club. It's called, you know, the wine online social tasting club. And essentially you, we have trivia and all the kind of fun stuff happening and conversations, conversations happening in the club. But once a month on the first Sunday of every month, we come together and I will pick a wine topic um, to discuss. And it's, it's a very open forum and any questions welcome. It's, it's basically based on really nice people coming together that, that want to learn about wine. Um, and so we just go on Zoom and we have a tasting. It's live. It's in person. It's very interactive. Uh, and, and we chat, have a chat about wine. Wow. So, so you've been using Zoom before the whole coronavirus thing hit. <laughs> I used Facebook Live in the beginning because we had the private Facebook group. Uh, but it was very difficult because it's just myself interacting. And I have a ton of comments coming in as people are commenting. So what are you finding? What are you finding with this aspect? What are you finding with that aspect? Depending on what the topic is. But... With Zoom, I can see them and I can interact. And there's also the biggest problem with that was the delay. In Facebook, you have a minute and a half delay where you're asking a question and you're like waiting for anybody to, like you're just standing there waiting to answer. And Zoom, it's instant. Um, and so I actually switched to Zoom just before coronavirus, not because of coronavirus. So how busy are you guys then with your online courses? Do you have a, a lot of interest? Is it a sort of a daily thing or...? It was actually, it was actually a, a a big learning curve for us. So the courses we started about a year ago, the, this wine online wine social tasting club we started about two months ago because we actually transitioned into this online tasting club. So essentially, the courses is is very new. The, like wine online wine education is very new. Usually, you would go to your WZ courses that you go in person, or maybe you go to winery, or maybe a wine tasting class in person. So. Be, wine online is, is, is kind of a, a new concept that's coming across and people are still kind of finding their feet. Um, and so we, we did the courses and it went pretty well. But what we did to realize and learn out of this is that as soon as we started doing the courses and with buying one of these courses, you get 12 months of tastings. We realized that people really loved the tasting. They loved the interaction on these tastings, like being able to taste, especially with a winemaker. Because you have to understand, I'm, I'm not a sommelier or, a, or a, I'm an actual winemaker. So it's a whole different perspective that I'm bringing to the table than, than you would usually get as far as wine education. And we checked in with our audience and we saw that, you know what, these guys love this element. And so that moved us to transition this whole brand over to a club. So we still have the courses, but that's not a focus for us right now. We'll get back to that in the future, but we just changed our business plan at the moment. But it's going pretty well. There is, is quite a bit of interest. But yeah, no, it's uh, it's it's busy. It's good. Wow. And uh, Serena, how did you get into this? Well, I came up with the idea of using Yaku to start doing these online tastings because I just love this whole online world that I discovered about two years ago of like online courses. And it just, to me, it seemed like the perfect lifestyle of being able to travel and to work from wherever. So I knew that I had issues with like being embarrassed, not knowing very much about wine. So I felt like there had to be other people that felt the way I did. And not everybody has a husband that's a winemaker that can teach them this stuff. So I was like, all right, we got to do this. And so I kind of came up with the idea and then like he just got on board. And so I'm kind of all behind the scenes of like figuring out like different series we can do and creating the website and create creative ideas. So that's 
basically my part of the whole, I don't do any winemaking or wine, but everything other than that, I'm, I'm kind of in control of. Imagine this, like you, you're a wine lover, you love wine, but if you find yourself at a place where you walk into the store and you're choosing wine by the label, or if you find yourself not understanding, you know, what it is that you should actually find in a wine, or if, you, if you're at a conference and you don't know how to explain the wine or what you're finding in a the wine, these things can become uncomfortable and intimidating and it's just not nice. And like what we always say is wine should be inclusive. So to be able to be in a place where I can actually help people breach that gap, uh, to be able to understand this beverage, to use it to their advantage is very rewarding to me. Would you say you prefer wine making or, or wine tasting? <laughs> they go they go hand in hand i'll tell you that they go hand in hand uh so obviously you know winemaking is amazing because it's, it's it's literally the reason why i started making uh decided to do that is you work with your hands but you know there's a big scientific element to it um analytic element to it you can also be extremely creative so it kind of combines all the best of, of, of these worlds uh, so i love winemaking it's also very very physical uh it's very hard work and so wine tasting obviously when you say wine tasting, you probably mean like online with my people. I absolutely love interacting online with people. So um, so I'm not going to choose just yet. But what I will tell you is we started a, a web show called The Grape Escape. And so we kind of travel across the world and we, we filmed all these uh, off the beaten wine wineries. So think of the only winery in Belize or you know, the only wine tent at the Oktoberfest, the, uh, you know, the Munich Oktoberfest. And um, we meet all these amazing people. So... Being able to do that online experience of really connecting with someone through a mic or through a video camera is truly, is, I, I find that very also very rewarding. So it's it's completely different worlds. And I would say at the moment, they're like 50-50. Have you had any unique experiences? We went to Belize and there was actually a British family that was making wine in a in a small village and they were making fruit wines, but they would use like local... they would go to the local shops and get all different kinds of well, fruits more like, and peppers. More like markets. Yeah, markets. Yeah, they didn't have, yeah, not shop. And so we interviewed them and they were just amazing because the the culture there, I mean, people don't really drink wine. So they're kind of like incorporating it into the culture and then being British in Belize. It's just like, it was just a really interesting, fun experience. So I think that stands out to me as like the most unique for wine. And yeah, it's interesting, as you mentioned, Serena, um, sort of fruit wine, because of course, wine can be made out of anything. I mean, uh, I know in uh, in places like in uh, Indonesia, they have um, rice wine as well. So it's not it's not just grapes. No, no, no. Fruit wine is is literally it's it's any kind of fruit that that you can make wine out of. Like they make, I think in Hawaii they make wine out of pineapple. I remember trying some palm wine. I think it was in Fiji which was, was very interesting just to see how completely different it is from a grape wine. Do you know what, what part of the palm tree they made it out of? It's the palm fruit? I, I don't, unfortunately. I, I don't really know much about it. It, uh, it was homemade and it came in a, an old uh, two-litre Coke, plastic Coke bottle with the label ripped off. So it was like some, some proper homemade stuff. Well, there you go. So now, now you're getting real authentic. So that's awesome. That's it. Might have not been the best beverage, but the experience was probably pretty amazing. Especially if you if you start to like, we were traveling to Greece uh, to do the grape escape, and you know, one thing that we're very serious about is snob, you know, snobbishness, or you know, a lot of people call themselves wine snobs and all that. And I really think we should redefine that term. It's not, in my eyes, really a good thing. Um, 
But so, you know, we're really trying to, if you want to drink wine with ice, then go for it. You know, there's, there's a certain time to do it and not do it and whatnot. But if you want to, you know, just drink wine to enjoy yourself and not taste wine, then do it. It doesn't matter. It's everybody to their own is the point. And uh, when we were in Greece and Santorini, we saw this one place, very local. And they had like, you know, one, one of those fridges that you open up when you get to maybe the gas station. They have like Coca-Colas and Red Bulls and stuff in it. They had one of those fridges outside. And it was full of 500 more um, plastic bottles, like plastic water bottles filled with wine. But grape wine, but still, like like you would buy a bottle of water. It was right next to the water. You would buy just a plastic bottle. Yeah, bottle of wine. You crack it open, you drink it. And it was, it was okay. But it was just amazing to see that I've never seen that in my life before. At least usually people use, you know, a, pla- you know, a, a glass or something, bottle or whatnot. But that was brand new for me. That's amazing. And, and like, as you were saying earlier, this whole idea of being a wine snob (laughs) um i've worked in hospitality for a few years and you know we had to be taught uh, about wine tasting and and what wine goes with which food and i always found it so bizarre when you know people ask you you know when you're working in a restaurant you know what would you recommend and and it's like well everybody's taste is different just because if somebody says that this wine should go with this food, doesn't necessarily mean that you will like it. Just remember, everybody, if you're listening out there right now, all the audience listening to this amazing podcast, nobody can tell you, you know, you're not smelling something or you're not tasting something. Because the reality of the fact is that we're all so very unique in our own preferences. The power of suggestion in wine is so strong. And I'm, I'm sure in, in all aspects of life, but especially of wine. So if I'm saying, hey, do you find, you know, I'm getting a lot of vanilla on this wine or whatnot. Other person will be like, yep, yep, I, I, I definitely get that. But do you really, though? So when you start stepping aside from that and really start honing in on your own preferences, you're like, okay, what do I actually get? And when you start understanding that, that's when your wine experience really starts improve, to, uh, to improve. Absolutely. I actually remember uh, drinking wine with, with Stuart. I remember it was it was a Riesling and Stu and you said that, oh, it tastes really sweet. And I thought, well, actually, I, I find it quite citrusy, which is what I love. We tasted two completely different wines. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And it was the same bottle. <laughs> But that is such a good lesson, Alyssa. That is amazing because one thing I have a, quite a bit of couples that taste with me and uh, and that I do private tastings for, and I always tell them, listen, I get it. You guys love each other. It's amazing, and you should always agree on everything. But when it comes to wine, okay, I need you guys to not agree. I need you to really take a stance and really, you know, assess it yourself. Get what you get, and then at the end, before you're going to influence each other, you can both say, I get this, I get this, and then you can compare. Aside from wine tasting, you are also involved with some filming. Could you tell us a little bit about that? In the beginning, I think six years ago, we started our first series was the the Nature's Voice. And so we're very avid um, nature lovers and animal lovers as well. And we were traveling around the world once again, kind of going to places, you know, just kind of showing the world like what would happen. So, for example, this trash beach on in Hawaii, where just the Pacific just washes all this trash onto this one part of Hawaii, which is insane, where you're like knee deep in trash, but it's completely off the tourist beaten path. And I remember this was like nine years ago. And I was just stopping this camera in Serena's hand. And I was like, you just need to do the best job you can. And I was there with my little mic and we just did, did it ourselves. And that's how it all started. But since then, we've come a long way where we are quite good at it now. Um, but going forward, I would love to have like my own, like someone that's dedicated to you. It's a camera or audio or something like that, because in the end, it kind of makes your life hard if you have to kind of wear all the hats in a business. 
And you, you would probably move forward so much faster if you kind of just sit back and, and take a perspective of, okay, well, what am I not good at? What is the things that I can kind of lane off to somebody else that's kind of like just do work uh, that will help me focus on on the business? Stuart, you know a little bit about uh, filming, don't you? Uh, bits and bobs here and there, yeah. For the last 12 years or so, pretty much my whole professional career to date, I've been in um, uh, video and television, making uh, various things. I was producing a few different live TV shows, which were uh, aired on Sky and Freeview channels here in the UK um, and on um, online as well worldwide. Made a few promotional videos, event films, the occasional wedding here and there. Produced a YouTube channel. So, so Stuart is the person we need to talk to. <laughs> this this is the person we need to talk to because I did I, we're done doing it by ourselves. Now. I needed to learn from you because Yaku just handed me the camera and I was like, okay, and then I just went with it, and it definitely got better over time. But yeah, there was some blurred footage in the beginning. Well, of course, there, yeah, there always is. They just shoot as much as you can, and that's the, that's the number one rule, isn't it? Shoot as much as you possibly can, and then you can you can sift through all the rushes. So you're not doing it anymore, though, or? Uh, well, as of a couple of months ago, I've kind of embarked on a new venture, uh, something that I've sort of had a keen interest on doing at some point in my life. So I've become uh, involved in commercial forestry as a, a self-employed or freelance, if you will. So we cut chestnut plantations and we uh, they, they get processed into fence posts uh, for agricultural use mainly and also chipped up for, for biomass boiler fuel. So it's something a little bit different that it's, you know, it got to the point where I was sat in an office in central London and I thought, you know, as much as you know, this is interesting. I, I want something a bit different. I want to be out in the fresh air in the countryside, sort of in the middle of nowhere. And yeah, so I'm kind of, I spend most of my days in the forest now, which is, which is quite, uh, quite a turn. Wow. Very rewarding. It's awesome. It's interesting to kind of think that, you know, something like work can have such a huge impact on health, um, both mental health and, and physical health. Um, and to try and avoid that happening, but equally, you know, feel like you're being fulfilled with with a career or whatever it is you choose to be doing is finding that balance, isn't it? And that, that's a difficult thing to do, especially I can imagine if you run your own business as you guys. Absolutely. I, I think you, you hit it on the nose there with the mental health, especially. I think mental health is probably... I mean, myself and Serena have long discussions on, on just... We just talk about everything and we kind of hash everything out then. The, the one thing that usually comes up and that is, is mental health. Like, how do you stay sane? How do you keep feeling positive? Because it's so easy to get down on this road where you're working, 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 and you just kind of like mission on forward. Okay, I have to reach out to media or I have to figure out, you know, maybe Facebook ads or whatever it is on the business side that you have to do or reach out to all these people. And instead of taking a step back and saying, okay, is what I'm doing right now progressing me? Is it moving the needle? Is it the least amount of work that I can do to make the biggest amount of progress. And um, that really takes effect on mental health because if you do find yourself in this place where you kind of just move on forward and you're just kind of in this zone of you're not really reflecting, you're not going to see rewards that you want to see and you're going to start find, well, is it, am I, is it what I'm doing worth it? Is, is it going to work? I, you know, and it really takes a hit on your mental health. I think that's one of the strongest, uh, if, you have a, a, if you've got that area figured out, you're well on your way to, to making a success of, of any business that you're attempting. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And just, just to kind of step back, you know, when you, when you are sort of heading down this road of just being bombarded with things to do, just to take a step back and think, am I happy? Is this actually what I want to be doing? 
is this is this worth it you know is the juice worth the squeeze as the saying goes and you know if the answer is yes fantastic plow forward and you know you're you, you know that you're doing something you want to do but equally there's absolutely no shame in thinking actually you know what this isn't really going in the direction that i was hoping for or that i'm happy with and actually i want to try something different um and i think mental health wise that is such a huge point to get to you know to be able to admit that perhaps i'm not on the right road uh, the right track you know just because you know perhaps i've spent the last you know 10 years of my life doing one specific thing getting really good in one specific industry that doesn't mean that because i want a, a career i have to stay on that track if i actually want to jump rails and go down a different track we should be able to do that and if that means starting from scratch well then so be it but at least it's you know, it's it's just keeping your life heading in the direction that you you really want it to go in. It's okay for you to want to change. I mean, how many people out there actually do what they love or do what they want to do? And that there is a way, a possibility for you to actually end up, if you're actually sitting in the flick, in doing what you want. But I would also at the same breath say that it's also much narrower. So if you're in your business, and maybe it's not that you want to change your business, but if you are just doing this one tiny thing of, I don't know, like writing emails or is that is that work that you need to be doing or can someone else do that work so you can focus on the actual growing growing the business kind of aspect? So I think it can go from a small scale, but also a massive scale into actually changing jobs. Absolutely. But I think long gone are the days where you had to choose one career path. I mean, the way I've been brought up, I've always told that you do have to do that. But actually, that never sat well with me. And I've always wanted to do lots of different things. And, uh, you know, as I'm growing up, I'm slowly, slowly going through those. And I think that's absolutely fine. It's fine to have lots of different ambitions and trying to achieve those. Absolutely. And, and you're saying that you were brought up in a way where you have to kind of choose one career path. And that's the same for me growing up in South Africa. It's, it's, very, it's very blatant. In, in America, it's different. And I kind of like the American system a little bit more. But in South Africa, growing up, you know, I, I went through high school and I was 18. And what happens after high school? You either, well, I don't know what you do, but you either go to university or you don't do anything. So you go to university, obviously, because I was privileged enough to be able to have that opportunity. But then at 18, like you said, um, Elisa, you have to decide what you're going to do. So I, like I said, I wanted to be creative. I love being creative, but I also want to work with my hands. You, you're not going to find me sitting in an office. It's, so there's all these things came together and it's like, okay, you know, but I, I might've had a few beers at 18 already. So I was like, yeah, I kind of like this drinking culture kind of thing, you know? So maybe I'm, I'll do winemaking. That sounds cool. But was it really a place for me to make that life decision for me at 18, which is kind of crazy. And uh, to think that you kind of commit to this amazing, like this crazy path. Now for me, it worked out in the end, but within me, I, I had this massive ambition. I remember making wine in France and I didn't speak French. I was there for about three, three, three months. Uh, it was before laptops, you know, really was a thing for everybody. So I had the radio, but the radio was in French. So I was literally find myself after every day at this beautiful vineyard in front of me, sitting there, drinking some wine and just watching the sunset by myself for three months. And I can imagine how much time I had to reflect and kind of figure out what is it that I actually want in life. And that was a turning point for me where I was like, you know what, I, I, I love online or, or rather um, the, like the host kind of vibe, the on-air personality, like connecting with people. I know I was good at that before and I wanted to pursue that. And it just worked out that I ended up in Los Angeles. I, didn't, I mean, at that point, I didn't even know Serena. But uh, it's it just in America, I know that if when you can go to college here, Serena, you can help me. You can go to college for two years, which counts to the first two years of your university degree. But that two years in college, you kind of just do a general ed can still figure out what you want to do yeah that's what i did yeah 
I studied fashion design and I, I did a little bit of that and I like to be creative, but I mean, I'm not doing that right now. I think it's very hard to like, I was also taught you have one career. I didn't know any entrepreneurs growing up. It always seemed something that would be a cool thing to do, but I just wouldn't even have known where to begin. I think that's why when I heard about this like online world of online courses, it just seemed so me. And so I was like, we just have to go for this. And I, like you, I had to change what I was doing and what I was focusing on and take a hard look and just decide, okay, this is the direction I think is better for us. Yes, I can definitely relate. Um, I mean, I studied choreography as my degree, but I did it purely because it's something that I was interested in when I was younger, not necessarily something that I wanted to have as a, as a career. Um, I followed it up by working in restaurants, uh, but that wasn't quite the career that I was hoping to do for the rest of my life. And uh, and actually, it turned out that law is something that I am genuinely interested in and genuinely makes me feel like I'm making a difference. And that turned out to be something that's really important to me. But in a way, that's what life is. Um, it throws different curveballs and takes you to different places. And talking about different places, uh, Stuart, I believe you've been to South Africa as well. Uh, I just spent a bit of time in Hoodsprate. Wow. Of all, of all places. Uh, yeah, it's sort of in the in the middle of nowhere. I was filming a documentary down there, a personal project that I did a few years ago um, on rhino poaching. So I jo- joined an anti-poaching unit based out of Hoodsprate, and they cover all of the major game reserves in the area. And just kind of wanted to get a feel of what it was like for uh, an anti-poaching operator on the front line who's who's living in the bush, spending 16 days there and just four days off and straight back in for another 16 days. These guys work unbelievably hard. And it was just kind of like a bit of a, an eye opener, really, as to the direction in which this poaching issue is going. And it's really it's not great, really um, getting pretty bad. But these guys are doing everything they can. And, and I commend them 100 percent because they are you know, quite literally giving the, their lives to, to these wildlife. And I wanted to capture that on camera and put it in a documentary. Working with these people, especially you're talking about the rhino poachers being able to work with with organizations that is completely on the front lines that doesn't get any funds like WWF or Greenpeace or anything like that that I know what you mean though, about being sort of sort of on the front line there and, and actually seeing the impact that that poachers are having on a certain species and it you know it is it's quite devastating to see it firsthand I remember we had a call and there was a rhino that had been poached and we had to go down and do an autopsy on it to try and find the bullets and try and link that bullet we'd then hand that obviously over to the the police to do their forensics bit but they can trace that bullet and link it back to a specific uh, poaching syndicate um, and try and figure out which syndicate and whereabouts in South Africa and, and where else they found that same bullet in other rhinos you know the amount of forensics that go into it is, is unbelievable but just standing there and just having a look at this poor rhino that you know three or four days earlier was you know walking through the the bush and now it's just sat there lifeless and it's got you know these anti-poaching guys going up literally hacking it to bits to try and find this bullet to try and figure out who had done this to this animal and it really is quite harrowing it sort of brings it home to you how fragile life is, really. Absolutely. It brings two things home for me, Stuart. And one thing is how fragile life is. The second thing it brings home for me is the immense impact we as humans have on just everything in the rest of the world. Um, if you think about, and you can correct me if I'm wrong here, but because uh, we also did the story on, on, on rhinos when we were in South Africa. And this guy I was mentioning, Dr. William Feld, is one of the leading uh, rhino poaching vet veterinarians. We, we spoke to him and essentially... These rhinos get poached 
and they go down. Maybe they get darted. They're not they're not dead. There's hardly do they ever shoot the rhinos because it's too loud. You hear the gunshots, so they dart, put the rhino to sleep or in a in a sleep like state. And uh, when they get to the rhino, it's lying there. They would start not to get too graphic. And I know this is showing all that kind of stuff, but it's important for people to understand this. They would kind of start hacking into the horn of the rhino to get the rhino horn off of its face. But the silly thing here is that a rhino horn uh, is just like a nail. It grows back. It's just a lot of hair filaments basically twisted together really hard. A rhino horn can grow back if you cut it off an inch and a half above the base. And that's why you see a lot of rhinos in parks in South Africa just with a stump, a very flat stump, because it's been cut off by the authorities so that they can't get poached. Well, that horn grows back and then it rubs its nose against trees and stuff and it starts going to a point again and then you have to cut it off again. But because these guys want to get as much as possible out of this rhino, they literally burrow into its face. And because of that, the rhino usually dies because it's infected or it bleeds to death or, or, or half its face is gone. So it's just very, very, a very destructive nature that, that, that comes across that I almost couldn't believe when I saw it. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, it's, it's horrific. I mean, these heartless people that do this. It's 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 not just the poachers, though, and that, that this is where the issue is really getting quite complicated, and it's kind of becoming more and more un, unstoppable. Is the amount of other sort of authority figures that are getting involved with it, and you you know, there there've been police officers, there've been um, park managers, you know, who have been working in conjunction with with the poachers and. You know, the manager of a game reserve who is in charge of deploying the anti-poachers in his game reserve, he knows exactly where he's deployed the anti-poachers. If he deploys them on the, the east side, he'll let the poachers know, go in, slip in through the western gate, pick off a rhino with a high-powered hunting rifle, get the horn, and you can be out there in less than three or four minutes. It'll take them seven minutes to get from the east side over to the west side, so you'll be fine. And with this kind of information, it's so easy for these poachers to do. I mean, now you're digging into a deep conversation where, you know, now it comes to corruption and just uh, all that kind of stuff that happens in South Africa, which has been a a big topic for many decades now. It's sad to hear these things and and, and, and to know that. But I also know that there is amazing people out there that you probably find yourself as well that is trying to find. And I'm not just talking about the, the Save Rhino organizations and all those kind of things. I'm also talking about these guys that also have literally nothing their job is just to be in the line of fire, helping rhinos survive. But they do it with all their heart. And that is just, that's the type of stuff that gives me you know, uh, goosebumps, that makes me feel like, yes, as brutal as that one person can be hacking into a rhino's nose, you also have the exact opposite with this guy. He has nothing, and he doesn't need to do that. And it's probably another job that he could do. And he could also just do the job and kind of just scrape by. But with the passion that they do their job with, because they feel for these animals, is absolutely amazing. Absolutely. And that goes back to what we were saying originally is to just kind of like occasionally step back and think, am I happy doing this? You know, don't worry about the money. Don't worry about anything else. Just think, am I am I happy doing this? Is this what I want to to achieve? Um, do I feel like I'm contributing towards something? These people are, are leading that on, in, in incredible ways. Yeah. Major respect to all those guys. It comes down to the why. I mean, it's it's going to let's I mean, if you change the topic back to, you know, and this is a, is a more of a business centered podcast, even though we got into some rhino poaching, which is always fun. Um but uh, but if you bring it back to business, in, in, it, it's it's your why. Like, why are you doing what you're doing? And it, it can be anything. It doesn't have to be something specific or, or righteous. Anything. It's just, it can be anything. It can be the smallest thing. But you just need to know what that is, is, is the point. And I think that's a great point to end on. Thank you so much, guys, for being on my podcast. 
Thank Absolutely. you for having us. Yeah, it was really fun being here. I really appreciate you guys taking the time to have a chat with us. It was really nice. Yeah, it's been really pleasurable. I've really enjoyed it. It's really nice to meet you guys. So what have we learned from today's podcast? Well, it's all about the why. Why do you enjoy drinking that specific wine? And don't say because the sommelier recommended it. Why do you work in this specific place? And don't say because you've been doing it for ages. Explore your taste buds, find out what makes you happy, and evolve. Because, you know, it's not good to keep things bottled up. Who needs the